This is the One Verse Podcast, where we liberate scripture from religion, one verse at a time. Welcome to the One Verse Podcast. I'm your host, your teacher, Jeremy Myers. In this episode of the One Verse Podcast, I'm going to give you seven keys to understanding the book of Revelation. And if you want to understand the book of Revelation, this podcast will send you off in the right direction. At least I hope so. This is my last podcast for the year 2016. Yeah, 2016. (laughs) Just a couple days away from 2017. Got a little confused there, but... Uh, I've got some pretty exciting things in store for RedeemingGod.com members, sort of my discipleship group uh, online in 2017. So if you haven't already joined me there, go to RedeemingGod.com slash register to get started. And I'd really like it if you would join the Hope or Love membership levels. There's three membership levels there. Uh, The Hope or Love membership levels, they do have a small fee, either a monthly fee or annual fee. Uh, but that is not just going to give you access to all sorts of free ebooks and online discipleship courses and things like that. But it also helps me continue doing what I do here at RedeemingGod.com with my website and my books and this podcast and a bunch of other things I've got coming up. Uh, it helps reach other people around the world. You know, I wrote on my, on my blog just a few weeks ago that I reach about 2.5 to 3 million people a year. Around the world, a lot of them are in Africa and Asia, a lot of high school and college students here in the United States. Uh, Many of them are struggling with understanding God's grace and forgiveness and love and how to do church, uh, what the Bible means, how to know that they are accepted and into God's family. And uh, so your support, your financial support helps reach them. So even if you just join the monthly membership, the Hope membership, your $9 a month fee helps reach about 54,000 people this coming year. That's pretty exciting, huh? So anyway, that's something that you want to do. Get some discipleship courses for me, eBooks and things like that, but also support the work spreading the gospel around the world. Just go to redeeminggod.com slash register to get started. Thanks for joining, and I can't wait to see you on the inside. Now, I want to tell you that as my final podcast episode of the year, this one has the potential to be my longest podcast episode of the year as well, and I really struggled with what to do about that. I thought about maybe trying to break this up into two podcast episodes, but I really wanted to fit it all into one. I thought about cutting out about 50-60% of it and uh, just giving you sort of the bare bones basics. But I figured that if I did that, uh, it wouldn't give you all the information you need to understand the book of Revelation. Uh, And and so sort of what I'm going to do is just trust you. Look, this is a long podcast episode, at least it has the potential to be. You can look on your podcast or iPod player, uh, music player, whatever it is you're using to listen to this and see how long it actually is. And uh, then, look, pause it when you want. That's the beauty of a podcast. Pause it when it's uh, about halfway through or whatever, and uh, come back and listen to the rest. Now, uh, for those of you who it's too long to listen to in one sitting or two or whatever, and you just don't have the time, uh, or maybe you're sort of like me and you learn better by reading something quickly, 
I'm going to make the transcript to this podcast available to you as well online on my website. And uh, for the first, I don't know, 30, 60 days or so, it'll be available to everybody. So if you're a listener to this podcast, then uh, you can get it for free on in the show notes area of the website. Just go to redeeminggod.com slash book of revelation uh, with dashes in between book dash of dash revelation. And uh, you can you can download the transcript there for the next 30, 60 days or so. I haven't quite decided after that. If you're listening to this, you know, come February uh, or March, somewhere in there, I will make that transcript available to redeeminggod.com members only. You can be a member of any level, uh, the faith, hope, or love membership level, but you do need to be a member to get the transcript if you'd rather read it. Okay, so uh, that's sort of what I'm going to do because this is a long podcast episode, uh, and uh, that way everybody can get it one way or the other. All right, so if you've ever tried to study the book of Revelation, you know that it has proved to be a challenge for Christians and teachers for nearly 2,000 years. So in the next, say, 30 to 60 minutes, depending on how long this podcast is going to be, I am going to try to solve the entire debate and clear up the confusion surrounding this tricky book. (laughs) Uh, Not really. Look, if you believe that, I've got some oceanfront property in Arizona to sell you, right? Look, (laughs) nothing I can say is going to clear up all the problems and difficulties surrounding this challenging book. I definitely can't solve the problems for you in 30 minutes or less. But what I hope to do is provide you with some of the ideas and insights that I've discovered over the last 20 years or so, uh, which have helped me make sense of the book of Revelation and hopefully will, will help you as well. I've been reading and studying the book of Revelation for a couple of decades and have read as widely as I could from all different perspectives uh, and approaches. And I pulled bits and pieces sort of from all the different perspectives uh, in an attempt to sort of avoid their weaknesses uh, while emphasizing their strengths, sort of uh, hopefully provide a coherent way of approaching the book of Revelation. Uh, and the end result of all of that is that basically I've come up with seven different keys which are going to help you and I make sense of the book of Revelation. And uh, some of these, by the way, are dependent on the things we learned in Genesis 1 through 4. That's why I'm doing uh, this study on the book of Revelation, sort of this overview, these seven keys, because what we've seen from Genesis 1 through 4 helps us understand the book of Revelation. In fact, as I said in our study multiple times in Genesis 1 through 4, understanding those chapters not only helps us understand the entire Bible— um, and life, and, and God, and, and, and economics, and politics, and everything else. But as we're going to see today, some of those things that we learned there in those chapters also help us understand the book of Revelation. So, let's uh, just dive right in and begin with the first key to understanding the book of Revelation. And that key is that, the first key is that the book of Revelation is highly symbolic. Now, that's probably not news to you. If you've ever read the book, you know that. (laughs) Uh, Lots of symbols and images everywhere. What some people fail to realize, though, is that the book of Revelation was primarily symbolic for the people to whom it was written. 
it's, it's not primarily symbolic for people living today. All right, and this is important to understand because if we think, oh, this is, an, this is a symbolic book, and the symbols represent things in 21st century, you know, the world, 21st century world, then what we're going to try to do is go around and look at the symbols and see what they could possibly represent today. And that's when you end up with the horses that shoot fire out of their mouths in Revelation 9 uh, being helicopters, right? And the locusts, also in Revelation 9, are, you know, flying drones or something. And it's not too hard to go look online and say and put in a Google search, you know, what are the locusts and 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 Horses in Revelation 9, the locusts, and you'll, you'll find pastors, teachers, authors, uh, Christians saying, oh, these are helicopters, attack helicopters, and flying drones, and, you know, all these sorts of crazy things. And, and that's because people take the symbolism and the images in the book of Revelation and try to tie it to symbols and things that we see in our world today, and you end up with all these crazy interpretations. So, uh, The book of Revelation is symbolic, but what we need to do to understand these symbols and these images is to go back and try to understand them in light of what the original readers, the original author of Revelation, uh, how, how they would have understood them. So the Apostle John, as the author of this book, look, he's a Jewish man, well versed in the Jewish scriptures, the Hebrew Bible, what we call the Old Testament. And he was writing, he lived in the Roman Empire uh, with all of their symbols and imagery, and he's writing to persecuted Christians who are living within that Roman Empire, all right? So a lot of the symbols and images that he wrote in the book of Revelation, that John wrote, would have been understood in that context, in the Roman Empire, with people who understood the Hebrew Scriptures uh, and and a lot of the prophecies and the allusions and references to the Messiah and and just a lot of the images there, right? So, uh, frankly, because of all that, I sort of think, I'm sort of suspicious, I suspect, that the early readers, the first readers of the book of Revelation, understood it a lot more than we do today. (laughs) The further away from that time and that culture and that language that we get, the harder it is for us to understand this book. So, uh, you know, to properly understand Revelation, we must immerse ourselves in historical studies and cultural studies and and background studies of of the, the Roman culture and of Jewish culture, Jewish ways of thinking, the Jewish scriptures, right? Everything that they would have been living in in the first century AD. And, um, When we do that, we discover that the book of Revelation is religiously and politically subversive. That is, it uh, it takes some of the images and symbols that were common to that time that everyone would have recognized, and then it challenges them, it subverts them, it flips them upside down, turns them around, it undermines them in a way that nobody living at that time would have missed. Uh, it's a, the book of Revelation is a subversive document which undermines the coercive power of the Roman Empire. And by the way, all empires that follow as well. Anyway, so that's the first key. To understand the book, we must try to understand the symbols and the images the way the original audience and author understood them. We must immerse ourselves 
in the Hebrew Scriptures, in the, in the Jewish way of thinking. Uh, we must spend time researching what life was like in first century Roman Empire as a Christian at that time. Right? We need to understand the history, the cultures, uh, the customs, the symbols. And when we do that, the book of Revelation will start to make a lot more sense. All right? So, uh, that's the first key. And, and when we do that, it leads to the second key of understanding the book of, book of Revelation. And the second key is that the book of Revelation is not really about the future. In fact, maybe I could say, here's the second key. The book of Revelation doesn't answer the question, when? Most of the problems surrounding the book of Revelation, uh, interpretations of the book of Revelation, I should say, stem from the fact that lots of Christians approach this book with the question, when will these take place, right? When will this happen? Or, from some perspectives, when did this happen? When were these things fulfilled, right? And then the debate about what various images and symbols mean in the book are all about the history of when this happens. You know, are they in the past or in the future? Some sort of combination of both? When did these things happen? When will they happen, right? I think the answer to all those questions, all those when questions are, here's the answer, those are the wrong questions. I firmly believe that rather than asking when, we should be asking what and who. Like, we should be saying, uh, what is this book about? Who is this book about? What questions are answered in this book? What issues are being addressed? All right? And when we approach the book of Revelation in that way, with these sorts of questions, it starts to make a whole lot more sense. Uh, And when we do this, we see that although the symbols and imagery of the book of Revelation were most easily and readily understood by first century Christians living under the Roman rule, key number one, remember, we discover that this book was not only for their time. If, if it was, then the answer to when you know, would be, well, just back then. It has nothing really to say to us today. We can ignore it, right? And that's not right. So when we avoid the when question, we focus on the what and the how or the who, right? It's then that the book not only has a message for the original readers, the original audience, but also a message for us today. The when question goes away, the what and who questions come to the front, and when we answer the what and the who questions, it's then that we can answer the when question, hope all this makes sense, and then the the answer to the when question is now. And you might be saying a little, you might be a little confused about the term, but you just said it's not about now, it's about the past. No, listen. When we focus on what and who, we see that the book of Revelation really is a timeless book. It's about now, whenever somebody's reading it. It was about now, when the first century Christians were reading it 2,000 years ago. It was about now, you know, 1,500 years ago, when those Christians were reading it. It was about now, at 1,000 or at 1,500, or here in 2016, almost 2017. There is a message in the book of Revelation, for all Christians, in all cultures, in all of time. When we focus 
On the what and who questions, we see that the book is about the present time for all Christians everywhere. All right? So, yes, we need to remember key number one. You sort of need to hold both of these together. In fact, we'll see this with all seven keys. You sort of need to hold them all together. But yes, we need to understand, study the book of Revelation in light of key number one, that it's highly symbolic and uh, full of images that would have been readily understood by the first century Christians. But at the same time, when we understand those images and symbols, we can then bring that message that John was telling them in light of their situation at their time, using images and symbols and language that made sense in their culture, and we are then able to bring that message into our own time, into right now, to the day and the age and the culture and the issues and the questions that surround us. All right, so the book of Revelation, don't ask the when question, because the answer to that is now. And therefore, we need to understand the symbols and the images so that we can bring it into the now and understand what it is saying, who it is talking about. All right, so uh, that's the first two keys. So the third key is that the book of Revelation is about how to read the Bible. In my studies of this book, I read that there are more references and allusions to Old Testament passages in the book of Revelation than in any other New Testament book. In fact, one scholar says uh, that there are over 600 such references and allusions in the Old Testament. I mean, that's quite a bit when you realize the book is only 22 chapters long, right? And so if if you're not well-versed in the Hebrew Scriptures, you're going to have trouble understanding the book of Revelation. And, you know, vice versa. The the better you understand the Hebrew Scriptures, the better you will understand the book of Revelation. But it goes the other way as well, because as I said, the book of Revelation helps you understand and read the rest of the Bible. Uh, Since the book of Revelation refers, alludes to the rest of Scripture so much, this means, in my opinion, that the book of Revelation is sort of a helpful guide on how to understand the Bible. I sort of tend to think of the book of Revelation as an illustrated commentary on the Bible. You might say, there's no illustrations in there. It's just, no, no, listen, it's images, right? Going back to key number one, symbols. So although the symbols and images are written in symbolic, you know, image format, right? If you can imagine them and picture them, then it helps you understand the Bible. Uh, And also, the thing about this illustrated commentary is that it goes in reverse. The book of Revelation uh, begins with a revelation about Jesus Christ, uh, and then uh, the the two chapters that contain the seven letters to the churches, right? Chapters 2 and chapter 3. And I sort of take those as parallel to the Gospels and Acts. Uh, From there... The book of Revelation moves into this long section, which is full of blood and violence. And I take this as sort of parallel to all of the violence all over the place in the Old Testament, in the Hebrew Scriptures. Then the final chapters of the book of Revelation take us all the way back to the Garden of Eden. And many of the symbols in these closing chapters, chapters 20, 21, 22, and so on, are taken from Genesis 1, 2, and 3, 
right? Lots of parallels, lots of symbolism in these final chapters of Revelation that we also find in the first chapters of the Bible. At the end of Revelation, uh, we have death is done away with, and of course, in Genesis, at the end of Genesis 3 and then into Genesis 4, death is introduced into the Bible. At the end of uh, Revelation, everyone gets resurrected, right? Uh, the tree of life, everyone lives forever. Well, all those themes, that was how God originally wanted things to be, which is why he put the tree of life in the Garden of Eden at the very beginning. Uh, there's hope and healing for the nations as a result. Uh, peace and prosperity for everybody. Uh, there, there's uh, th- this new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven, uh, very symbolic, reminiscent of the Garden of Eden, sort of God's paradise, God's place, dwelling place on earth. Um, we, we, we have these gates of the city that are never shut, reminds us of the gate to the Garden of Eden that was blocked by this angel, this angelic being. There's uh, at the end of Revelation, there's no more uh, sorrow, pain, enemies, danger. All is right with the world, right? Everything that went wrong in Genesis 3 and Genesis 4 is now reversed. Everything is set straight. This, this, this great turbulent and painful period of teaching humanity the, the, the difference between right and wrong, good and evil, has come to an end. So basically, the book of Revelation ends where the Bible begins. The Bible ends where it begins, we could say. So Revelation is sort of the entire Bible in reverse, which is why I say again, if you want to understand the book of Revelation, you need to understand the entire grand narrative, the big picture story of the Bible, and vice versa. If you want to understand Scripture, the book of Revelation will help. You just sort of have to understand that it's a commentary, an illustrated commentary on the Bible, but the Bible in reverse. Right? And and so that's sort of the third key, and it leads to the fourth. Uh, The book of Revelation helps us understand ourselves. Uh, I would say the fourth key is that the book of Revelation reveals the heart of of humanity. And if you've read my book, The Atonement of God, I even mentioned it in some of my previous podcasts, this is also one of the purposes of the entire Bible. Again, going back to the third key, uh, it's sort of the, the mini Bible commentary. And since the entire Bible, one of the primary purposes of the Bible is to help humans understand ourselves, then it's no surprise that the book of Revelation is also a revelation about humanity. It helps us understand ourselves. It reveals what humans have always been like and what we always will be like, at least until Jesus Christ returns and to, to rule and reign over all. All right? And so if we, again, if we go back and remember some of the central truths, revolutionary truths that we learned from Genesis 3 and 4, and if you remember how I told you that these truths are found all over the place, over and over and over in Scripture, then it will be no surprise for us, and you will find these all over the place in the book of Revelation as well. What truths? Well, you remember this whole thing about how humans are built for relationships, and because of that, we imitate one another. That's how we learn, right? How babies learn. This imitation, though, has a dark side. It leads to rivalry, and rivalry results in blame and accusation, ultimately in scapegoating and violence. You remember some of those truths, those seven uh, revolutionary foundational truths about humanity from Genesis 3 and 4? Well, look, those are found everywhere, emphasized in the book of Revelation as well. 
They're explained in Genesis 3 and 4. They're repeated over and over and over and over in the Old Testament. They show up in almost every chapter in the Gospels, all right? Paul talks about these in Romans, especially in Ephesians, all over the place. John talks about these, and no surprise here, since these themes are everywhere in the Bible, they're also found here in the book of Revelation. So the the book of Revelation helps us understand humanity, the heart of humanity. But as part of revealing what humanity is like, the heart of humanity, the book of Revelation gets very, very personal. And sort of brings your own heart to the forefront. Gives you a glimpse into your heart. How does it do this? It does this by how you interpret the book. I'm convinced that your interpretation, my interpretation, our interpretation of the book of Revelation is how we read it. I believe that that reveals more about the condition of our own heart than anything else. And by the way, I think that's the same for for, for Scripture. Remember, Revelation is like the Bible in miniature. Well, how you read the Bible reveals more to you about your own heart than anything else. And same is true for the book of Revelation. Let me explain to you what I mean. There's two ways of reading the Bible. There's the violent and bloody way, right? God hates sinners. He's out to kill and destroy everybody. Everybody who doesn't accept him, he's going to send to burn forever in hell, right? There's that way, which is very, very common. And then there's the other way, the gracious, loving, and forgiving way. God loves you. He forgives you. He accepts you. He always has. He always will. There's nothing that you can do that will cause him to turn away from you. And the reason he doesn't want you to sin, it's not because he's just out to punish you, right? But because he doesn't want you to be hurt, right? And that's the second way of reading the Bible. By the way, my way is that second way. It used to be that first way, but over the last 10 or 15 years, I've transitioned to that second way, part of my story. Anyway, um, those two ways of reading the Bible are pretty, they're, they're incompatible. And I, I, I'm convinced that although both ways can be defended from Scripture, that is, everybody has their verses and ways of, you know, defending their view, that way, those two ways of reading the Bible, they don't actually reflect the Bible so much as they do the condition of the person's heart who's teaching the Bible that way, right? Uh, However we read the Bible... We, we don't say, well, the Bible says it, that settles it, right? I believe it, that settles it. No, <laughs> what it's actually revealing is the condition of your own heart. What is in your heart? Hate or love, right? Anger or forgiveness. In the same way with the book of Revelation, how you read the book of Revelation, just like how you read the Bible, depends in large part about what is in your heart. Or maybe we could say even how you view God. Right? Yes, the Bible reveals God to us. But at the same time, the type of God you believe in determines how you read the Bible. The type of God you see in the Bible says more about your own heart than it does about the Bible or about God. Uh, look, I, again, I, I talk about this in my book, The Atonement of God. The, the, the Bible is not so much a revelation about God as it is a revelation about humanity. 
I'm going to write a whole book on this. In fact, it's already about 70, 80% written. Uh, but but uh, the, the basic idea is that the Bible serves as a mirror to reflect the inner secrets and hidden places of our hearts. All right, so, so if you believe in your heart, if you want a God that is vengeful, angry, violent, right, who's out to destroy your enemies and kill them, well, then you can read the Bible that way. But your reading of the Bible really only reflects what's in your heart and doesn't necessarily reflect the way God is, right? And vice versa, right? If you believe that God is loving, gracious, kind, forgiving, look, the Bible can also be read in that way. And this way of reading the Bible reflects what is in your own heart as well. And also, you ready? Not necessarily the way God is. Now, that's troubling, though, isn't it? Uh, We want to know what God is really like. And I just said, well, the Bible can't really tell us, because you can read it both ways, and both sides have good arguments for their beliefs, for their statements. So what sort of God is revealed in the Bible? Ah, here's where we get to the book of Revelation. Because you remember, the book of Revelation is like the Bible in miniature. And I believe the questions we have about the nature and character of God and how to understand the Bible, I believe those questions are not new. They have been asked since Adam and Eve had Cain and Abel and tried to explain God to their sons. All right, And they were asked in John's day when he was writing the book of Revelation to Christians living in the Roman Empire. What is God like? Okay, And so this gets us to the fifth key understanding the book of Revelation. The fifth key is that the book of Revelation reveals the heart of God. Right? Since the very beginning, the question about what God is like has been one of the most basic and primary questions of all people, of theists anyway, people who believed in God. Uh, It it was one of the early, in fact, if you go back and listen to my studies of Genesis 1, this was the question that Moses was trying to answer when he wrote to the people of Israel coming out of slavery in Egypt. They had been living in Egypt and had a certain view of the gods of Egypt, and they wanted to know what Yahweh, the God of Israel, was like, and Moses wrote Genesis 1 to answer that question. It shows them what God is like like, right? And many other books of the, of the Bible do that. The book of Job, that the entire book of Job is centered around the question, what is God like? What is God truly like? This is one of the ultimate questions of life, all right? Um, and, and, you know, you may think you know what God is like, and I may think I know, And if we disagree, how can we determine who is right? I believe the Bible, you believe the Bible, and we can argue about it on Facebook, right? But how can we know? And even if you say, and even if I say, well, Scripture tells us. Well, look, let's be honest. Scripture sort of reveals a two-faced God. We have the loving and forgiving God, and then we also have the violent, angry, bloody God. And you can't say they're two different sides of the same coin. I hear people, some people try to argue that. Well, sometimes he's loving and forgiving, and other times he's angry and wants to kill people. Look, (laughs) show me a man who beats his wife and is also a good husband. (laughs) Seriously, show me a man who beats and abuses his children and is also a good father. 
You, you can't, right? The, the two are incompatible, and the same goes for God as well. So, again, the Bible does reveal the heart of God, but uh, it's difficult to know which view is the right view, which strand of Scripture is true, right? And I'm convinced that the book of Revelation was written to help answer that question once and for all. All right. Now, um, if you've read the book of Revelation, you know that the book of Revelation is quite violent. There's blood and death and disease and famine and war everywhere. So you might be getting a little nervous, or maybe you're not. Maybe you're cheering me on, <laughs> right? Uh, we want a violent God. Yeah, the book of Revelation is violent. That's the way God is. Once and for all, it's been proven. Oh, we don't want a violent God. We want a loving and forgiving God, and we just don't know what to do with Revelation because there's all this death and blood all over the place, right? Here's where we get to the sixth key of the book of Revelation. Uh, yes, it reveals the heart of God. How does the book of Revelation do that? It reveals, the book of Revelation reveals that God is just like Jesus Christ. All right, in answer to that age-old question, what is God like? The book of Revelation says... God is like Jesus. All right, now initially, I, I understand this doesn't help very much. Uh, yeah, a surface reading of Revelation seems to portray that Jesus is pretty violent. All right? In fact, I've had numerous discussions and debates on my blog, in email, on Facebook, so on, over the last several years, uh, and I, as I have been trying to present a God that looks like Jesus, who dies for his enemies rather than kills and slaughters his enemies. And the people who want a violent God, who see a violent God in Scripture, uh, often point to the book of Revelation as proof. When I say God looks like Jesus, they say, yeah, and look what Jesus is going to do when he comes back. Book of Revelation. right? They often point to the book of Revelation as proof. And I admit, here we seem to be presented with a violent and bloody Jesus. Starting wars, sending floods, famines, diseases, right? Finally, the Battle of Armageddon comes down himself to slay people, right? The blood runs so deep up to the bridle of his horse, right? He's covered in blood, right? So, so although we say, you know, God looks like Jesus, it doesn't initially seem to help us much because Jesus appears to be pretty violent in the book. Uh, so, again, is John siding with those who say God is violent and in portraying Jesus as violent? Is John saying God also is a bloodthirsty, death-dealing, enemy-hating warrior deity? <laughs> well, here's where we get to the sixth and final key to the book of Revelation, the one that sort of ties all of the previous six together, and it's this. The book of Revelation provides us with a choice. Believe it or not, many books of the Bible do this. You get to the end, and the question at the end of the book is, what will you do? How will you live? Uh, in 2017, we are going to do a study, verse-by-verse -verse study of the book of Jonah. The book of Jonah is one of these books. It has the most beautiful ending. Uh, and, Make sure you join us for that study. But the book of Revelation is that way too, and the Bible as a whole. Look, uh, the book of Revelation, like the Bible, 
seeks to reveal both God's heart and our own heart to us, and then forces us to choose between them. And and, and here's how the book of Revelation does this. Yes, the book of Revelation is violent and bloody, but I believe, (laughs) in fact, it is so violent and bloody, I believe that it is satirically violent. It is graphically violent. It is garish in its detail. In fact, you know, look, if John was writing this today, I don't think he would have written the book the way it is. I think he would have published a graphic novel. You ever seen these in the bookstores? These sort of adult comic books uh, where they have the superheroes and there's blood and there's pow and bam and powers and zaps and right all these these colors and all these things all over the place, right? Um, if, if you could draw and color the events described in the book of Revelation, uh, it would, they would be full of color and light and action and blood and death, right? And disease and rotting corpses. It's just, it's like a, this graphic novels that you sometimes see today. I, I don't read those, but I flipped through a couple in a bookstore recently. It's crazy stuff in these. Now, when, when read this way, I believe that the book of Revelation, John wrote the book of Revelation sort of as over-the-top bloody to make a point. All the blood and gore and death in the book of Revelation sort of reminds me of um, a mother I once heard about who uh, caught her teenage son smoking, you know, behind the the woodshed out back. I don't know if this is a true story or not, but anyway, she caught her her, uh, son smoking out there. So she wanted to cure him of smoking. And you know what she did? (laughs) She went out and bought a bunch of packs of cigarettes, sat him down at the kitchen table and said, smoke them all. (laughs) Uh, And uh, he, he smoked and smoked and smoked until he just got sick. And ever after that, he associated cigarette smoke with being sick and he never smoked again. Now, look, I I don't know if it's a true story, but I sort of think that John is doing something similar here. Throughout the Bible, throughout human history, we humans know that we have a problem with violence. Uh, I've said in my podcast and some of my online courses, books and, and writings, that the main sin of the Bible is human violence. Right? And everybody knows this. And we just have to look around about how violent the world is. Violence is everywhere. Right? The real problem, though, and this is what is revealed all over the place in the Bible, and revealed all over the place in Genesis 3, Genesis 4, Genesis 5, Genesis 6, <laughs> 7, 8, 9, okay, pretty much every chapter, is that we not only are violent, but we blame our violence on God. You know, we engage in violence, and then we say, well, I am just acting with justice and righteousness towards the evil sinners, towards the blasphemers, the evildoers, right? The pagans. We blame our violence. We justify our violence by blaming it on God, saying, God told me to. God, this is God's righteous judgment. So John says, John comes along, book of Revelation, he says, oh, okay. so." Let me get this straight. God is violent like humans are violent? I mean, we're only human because we're doing what God wants us to do? Fine. Let's see what that would really look like. Let's take the violence of God and let him pour it out on the earth. Let's look at what 
life on earth would really be like if God was violent like humans are violent. You want God to destroy your enemies? Okay, let me describe what that would look like. Oh, you want God to send famine and diseases on wicked sinners? Well, guess what? Here's what that looks like. (laughs) And what does it look like? Well, it looks like most of the people on planet Earth dying. (laughs) That's what it looks like. Um, Is that really what we want when we ask God to judge the Earth? When we say, God, judge the Earth, judge the wicked, judge the, the sinners, do we really understand that what we're basically telling him is, kill everybody? (laughs) So in this way, the book of Revelation is sort of a caricature, a a satire on what some Christians, both, both back then in John's day and now, want Jesus to be, this conquering warrior Messiah. Look, in John's day, some of the Christians wanted Rome to be overthrown, this, this evil empire, right? Just like today, some Christians want Jesus to slaughter and kill our enemies. You know, the ones in the Middle East, the, uh, the, the Democrats, the Republicans, the Trump voters, the Hillary voters, <laughs> ruining our country, right? John says, really? Okay, let me show you how that would look. And he makes it so bloody, so gruesome, but by the time it's all over, we realize how impossible it would be for Jesus, the Jesus of the Gospels, to actually act in such a way. Revelation is a stomach-turning expose of violence. It shows you where violence leads. It shows you what happens in a holy war. All right, and if we're forced to really choose, uh, John forces us to really choose if we want to God, if we want God to act this way. You know, again, there's going to be some who say, "Well, it's not up to us. You know, God is God; He can do what He wants. He wants to slaughter His enemies, kill all the sinners and righteous. Who are we to talk back to God?" Yes, well, <laughs> that's true. And that's where the genius of the book of Revelation really shines through. Right? Every time in the book, when we think that Jesus is about to behave in some sort of bloody and warlike way, John flips the image upside down, subverts the idea that Jesus is violent in any way. Let me just give you one quick example. I know we're running short on time, going way past, but I warned you that might happen. Um... One, one quick example, one of the first examples in the book, you could go through and take almost any example, all of them sort of do this, but the first one is super clear, so let's just start there. Um, at the beginning of the book, right, John is, a, he says this is a revelation about Jesus Christ and, and talks about all these lampstands and all that, and then in chapters two and three gives this um, letters to the seven churches. Then the vision, sort of the, the proper, the main vision begins in Genesis chapter four, and he is taken up to heaven to receive his vision where he first sees God sitting on this throne, and he is surrounded by 24 elders and the seven spirits of God and four living creatures, right? That's all Revelation chapter 4. Then in Revelation chapter 5, God brings out this scroll, and it's sealed with seven seals, which no one is found worthy to open. And John begins to weep because he really wants to know what's inside that scroll. The scroll, by the way, I believe is, is, uh, represents scripture. Remember, Revelation helps us understand Scripture and vice versa. 
right? And so John wants to understand scripture the way we all do, and he sees that this scroll is going to help him, but since no one can open it, that is, no one can unfold it and explain it, John weeps, just like you and I. Well, we've got this great Bible, but no one can come to agreement. No one can infallibly and perfectly tell us what it means, what it says, what it teaches. You and I would weep too. Since it's God's book, only God can be trusted to explain what is written in the scroll. And so John weeps because no one can open it. Anyway, in Revelation 5, 5, one of the elders says to John, Do not weep. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has prevailed to open the scroll and loose its seven seals. All right, so so do you see what is presented here? The lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David. It's a clear reference to Jesus the Messiah. And both of those images, the lion and the root of David, they're violent images, especially that image of the Messiah as the lion of the tribe of Judah, right? What is a lion? Well, it's the king of the jungle. They, they, they rule by the strength of their claws and fangs. Uh, they, they defeat their foes with brute strength, with vicious attacks. When a lion feeds, there's blood everywhere, right? They're meat eaters, carnivores. Lions are the universal symbol of conquest and kingship through force and strength. Right? So the elder says to John, hey, don't weep. The Messiah, the Lion of Judah, he's able to open the scroll. Huh. Wow, okay. So this is our answer. What is God like? What is Jesus like? Well, he's a lion. He's a bloody carnivore. He kills, he eats, he destroys. So John turns and he is fully expecting to see a lion. By the way, that's what all the Jewish people expected to see when the Messiah arrived. It is what a lot of people today expect to see when Jesus comes again. This violent Messiah, this strong king who is going to overthrow all these enemies and slaughter them all and kill them and there's going to be bloodshed. Right? That's what the early Jewish people wanted, hoped for, prayed for, as they were living under Roman occupation. It's what lots of people long for, pray for, look for today. Anyway, so John turns. Oh, I'm going to see the lion. What does he see? (laughs) Not a lion, but a lamb. And it's not just a lamb, it's a lamb that was slain. (laughs) This is a dead lamb. Well, he's not dead here. It was as though it had been slain. It has slain, but it's come back to life. Anyway, the lamb goes, takes the scroll, and begins to unroll it, break the seals, and uh, that takes you into Revelation chapter 6. But do you see the way John subverts, the way he reverses the violent image of the lion of the tribe of Judah? He introduces the Messiah the way some of the Old Testament texts introduce the Messiah. He's going to be a violent, bloody ruler who defeats his enemies. There's going to be sword and shield and blood and war. But when Jesus actually comes, that is, when John actually looks, he sees a lamb. And though the lamb truly is bloody, there is blood, (laughs) it's his own blood which he shed for his enemies. This is the first glimpse of Jesus 
in this main vision, the main section of John's vision. And it, it sort of provides the key, the hermeneutical key, to the other violent portrayals of Jesus in the book of Revelation, right? Uh, Jesus goes out to conquer with a sword. Yeah, he's got a sword. Yeah, but <laughs> the sword comes out of his mouth, right? It's not like any sword you would ever kill anyone with. It's the Word, the Word of God. He goes forth with healing, right? Um, the sword comes out of his mouth. It's not a piece of metal to slaughter his enemies. It's the Word of God. At the end of the book, it does go forward to restore the nations, not to slaughter and kill them. Uh, later, the, the robe of Jesus is covered in blood. Yeah, he's this violent warrior. He's going out there and hacking away. He's blood splattering all over the place. Yeah, Well... It's his own blood. <laughs> that blood his robe is dipped in, it came from his own body. It's not the blood of his enemies. It's the blood he shed for his enemies because he died for them. So do you see the way John paints this gruesome, gory, bloody picture? Which it is. But then he turns it upside down to view it through the crucified Christ, which I call the crucifixion lens, as I talk about in the Atonement for God. All the violent gets turned around. And we see throughout the book, Jesus is supremely nonviolent. He comes to rescue, save, and deliver, not to kill, to kill, steal, and destroy, which, by the way, that's what the devil does. So, so, so by writing the book this way, all right, this is the book of Revelation. John is forcing his readers to make a choice. That means you and me. Would we re ignore what John reveals about Jesus? Or would we continue to chase after violence, you know, praying to God to slay our enemies? Or, or would we follow the way of Jesus and seek to stand up against evil through love and forgiveness? That's the choice. It's the choice of the book of Revelation. It's the choice of the Gospels. It's the choice of the entire Bible. And remember, the warning in the Gospels is the same warning here. During Jesus' first coming, the religious people rejected Jesus because he wasn't violent. They wanted this military messiah who would throw off the Roman occupation, right? And when Jesus refused to do this, many of the religious people rejected Jesus as a false messiah and ultimately had him crucified. They had a choice to make. Jesus' way of love and forgiveness for all people, or the human way. Violence, retaliation, and revenge. So today, as we read the book of Revelation, and the Bible as a whole, from Genesis to Revelation, we are faced with this same exact choice. Right? We humans, we want violence, and therefore we want our Messiah to be violent. We want God to be violent. But when Jesus shows up, he shows up as a lamb, a slain lamb. And the blood which covers this lamb is not the blood of his enemies, but his very own blood which he shed for his enemies. By the way, who are his enemies? Never forget, while we were still his enemies, while we were yet his enemies, Christ died for us. <laughs> you and I are his enemies. So be careful about wanting God to come slay all the enemies. <laughs> Why did Jesus die and shed his blood for us? Well, yes, because he loved us, but also to expose and reveal to us 
our own violent tendencies, own up to them, admit them, so that we can then turn away from these things and cease these violent activities once and for all. Remember, the book of Revelation reveals our own hearts to us. Will we have the courage to see them? Also, it reveals God. God is not like humans. Humans are violent. God is not. We attribute violence to God. We try to frame God for our violence, but God is not violent. He turns it around upside down, right? Reflects it back, shows us where it came from. He's like Jesus. God is like Jesus. He'd rather die for his enemies than kill them. By the way, Jesus is not a pacifist. Don't think I'm saying Jesus is his, you know, weak need, limp hand pacifist, the way you sometimes hear people say. <laughs> but he's also definitely not a warmonger, right? He's not bloodthirsty. He's not out for revenge. He's not on the warpath. So the question now is, what will you do? What will I do? Now, the last couple chapters of the book of Revelation, they end with everything being set straight, right? Land and earth being healed. Death, sin, Satan being exiled forever. God comes to dwell among the people. Violence comes to an end because the one who was slain shows us a better way. So, although universal peace on this earth is not going to fully and completely arrive until Jesus returns again, nevertheless, the book of Revelation ends with the question. Since Jesus has already lived and died and is living again, and since Jesus has shown us that God is supremely nonviolent, and it is only humans who, since the days of Cain, have murdered our brothers, how will we live now? Are we going to follow the way of Cain, the way of Satan, the way of violence? Or will we follow the way of Jesus, the way of blessing? And the way of love. Since you will follow Jesus in eternity, how then will you live now? That's the ending to the book of Revelation. So again, it is about now, isn't it? Well, thanks for listening. I know that was a lot to cover in one podcast. Looks like we're getting close to an hour here, so definitely my longest podcast episode yet. Obviously, if you've studied the book of Revelation, you know I probably raised more questions than I answered. Barely scratched the surface on all the beautiful truths in this amazing book. But uh, listen, we're, we're headed for the book of Jonah next. Um, I don't know how much of my story you know. But I tried to tackle Jonah, I don't know, must have been five years ago now, and I got sunk about halfway through the book on the whole question about the violence of God, the storm that is sent. So I, I think I'm in a place now to try to tackle it again. So we're going to try to do that in the One Verse podcast, starting with Jonah 1-1 in the next episode. Although I need to warn you, there's probably going to be a couple of weeks. I need a little bit of a break at the beginning of the year, take care of some things, spend some time relaxing, resting with my family and so on. Um... So there's probably going to be a couple of weeks between now and that episode. But if you want to listen to more Bible and theology teaching between now and then, make sure you join my online discipleship group going to redeeminggod.com register. There's uh, two, as I record this, online audio courses, theology courses. 
One about the definition of church and one on the gospel, which you can take right now. They're going to provide you instruction and teaching, just like I do in this podcast. And uh, there will be more courses coming in 2017. A big giant one. The Gospel Dictionary is going to define 52 keywords of the gospel. That's coming in 2017, along with some others, hopefully. And they're all free if you are a uh, part of the hope or love levels in that membership, that discipleship section of my website. So anyway, make sure you join me. Go to redeeminggod.com slash register to get started taking those courses, get free ebooks and other things like that. Okay, thank you so much. Look forward to seeing you there. Uh, this week's sign-off from Facebook comes from Taco Verhoff. He uh, lives in the Netherlands. And uh, I thought his, the, 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 the sign-off he suggested was sort of ironic considering today's podcast topic. Anyway, here it is. Hasta la vista, baby.